Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch and he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. Lord, just bless this teaching. We get into one of the first genealogies, and these are the things that we often tend to just skim over. But Lord, I believe there is truth in every word of your, of your scripture, and so I pray that you will teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. The jeans market has exploded in the last few years. And I'm not talking Levi's. Anyone here sent out one of those DNA testing kits? Ancestry.com, 23andMe, MyHeritage, Family Tree. These are all places you can go to. You send a DNA sample to them, and they let you know that you're related to Adolf Hitler. Or Vlad the Impaler. I mean, you look back, you find out about your family line. I looked this up. The DNA market in our country has jumped from 2 million consumers who were tested in 2012 to, by the end of 2018, from 2 million to 12 million. And as of October of this year, DNA company databases have already exceeded 30 million. So people are fascinated. Now, don't worry. They've got all your personal DNA data stored on their safe private servers. <laughs> I mean, what could go wrong, right? We're curious about our family trees. We're curious about everything from our health to our history, where we come from, where we might be going to discover all these things. I would suggest if you want to know where you come, where you come from and where you're going, start in Genesis and end in Revelation. And you will know your family line. But family trees have always been interesting to people. We say things like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Or two wrongs don't make a right. Just look at your parents. <laughs> but we still want to know. We want to look back into our misty, murky genealogical past. And you could say, as far as genealogy goes, it's all relative. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Listen, family trees, while misty, are not mystical. While curious, they are not characteristic of who you are. They don't determine you or who you must be. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, and we quoted this a couple weeks ago, instructs certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than, listen, rather than Underscore, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. It is not the tree that determines. It is faith. Not the tree, you could say, it's the trust. Faith surpasses DNA. Sure, your genes have physical and temporal implications for you. Your family line may have had some kind of influence on you, but faith... That's a spiritual consequence. 
That's of eternal value. Faith in Jesus Christ can change the entire growth pattern of a family tree. It can move it in a completely different direction. Because faith changes us at the most essential level. Faith changes the heart. I I keep trying to simplify the word faith because we still tend to hear it with, with religious overtones. Faith is simply trusting God. Trust God and it will change your life. Put your trust in Jesus. Say, okay, acquiesce, give in, accept Him as true. And it will alter the direction of your very existence. We come to two family trees here in Genesis. The line of Cain, and then in chapter 5, the line of Sheth. I know your Bible says Seth, but it's Hebrew, Sheth. The first and third born sons of Adam and Hava, Adam and Eve. Abel's tragic legacy as the second born is simply that his blood cried out to the Lord from the ground. So there would be no family tree along the line of Abel. Now when you look at these two lines in chapter 4 and then chapter 5, there's a tendency, and I'm going to, I don't know where Josiah is, but bring me down a little more, a little less echo on me, thanks. Um, There's a tendency when you look at these two genealogies to look at one as bad and one as good. Line of Cain, bad. Line of Sheth, pure and holy. Line of Cain, cursed, ungodly. Line of Sheth, godly people. That's way too superficial. And it's not fair to the individuals involved. Granted, Jude 11 tells us, referring to false teachers, that they have gone the way of Cain. So there definitely is a way of Cain. There is a direction of Cain. And there are those in the line of Cain who follow that direction. Cain set the pattern. And patterns can be set in family lines. Patterns for outbursts of anger. For jealous rage. For murder. His way, Cain's way, stands opposed to the way, which is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The way of Cain, well, it describes the deeds of the flesh. You can read about those. Galatians 5, 19 through the end of that chapter. The deeds of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit includes things like peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Clearly Cain was lacking self-control when he murdered his brother in that outburst of jealous rage and anger. So the way of Cain is not a good way. But understand, and you'll see this in just a moment, the way of Cain does not determine the fruit of the family tree. It can influence it. It does influence some of the fruit. But every branch, every twig, every leaf on every family tree must decide. You choose whether you're going to have faith or defiance. And that's what we see even here in Cain's line. If you look at verse 16, it says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. If you translate that literally, Nod means aimless wandering. And as we talked about Wednesday night, what Cain did, he didn't go find this settled area. Cain dwelt in the land of aimless wandering, which is what happens when you go out from the presence of the Lord. See, here's the difference already right out of the gate between faith and defiance. Faith, you want to be in the presence of the Lord. Faith, the nearness of God is my good. Faith, I want to be where He is and I ask Him to be where I am. To be surrounded by 
the presence of God and His Spirit. But Cain goes out and away. Parents, if you want to influence your children in the way of Cain, that's how you do it. Keep your family out of the presence of the Lord. Stay home on Sunday. Have other priorities. Focus on different things at home. We'll do the church thing for an hour or two a week. But then we've got our real life. Life lived outside of the presence of the Lord is the way of Cain. And its end is the same. Keep your family out of the presence if you want to follow that way. But we encourage the opposite. We're encouraging and looking for generations of faith. And to find generations of faith along a family line, we must invite the presence of the Lord into the family, into the house, into the day today. Always saying, Lord, in your presence I will be. His presence in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our sibling relationships, His presence. Now I'll give you a quick three-word outline that we'll follow through as we study this morning. And the first word is invitation. Invitation. Second word is ignorance. And the third word is influence. So by those three words, we'll take a look at this. Invitation, ignorance, and influence. Invitation, invite the presence of the Lord. Seek His presence. Moses understood this to be of profound value. The Lord said, My presence shall go with you, Exodus thirty-three fourteen, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Which is kind of funny to me, because how could he lead him up from there if his presence <laughs> didn't go with him? But the point is clear. Moses said, If you're not going, we're not going. If you're staying, we're staying. Wherever you are, that's where we want to be. Inviting the presence of the Lord. Jesus made such a great promise. You've heard it before. Listen again. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That's the presence of the Lord. Same presence that Moses called for. Same presence Israel needed. Same presence throughout history offered to those who will trust in the Lord. Jesus calls Him the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. You know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. And listen, you in me and I in you. The presence of the Lord. He's with you. He's with me. If there's anything shown I have talked about all week long that has sustained us and strengthened us, it's that very truth. The presence of the Lord. He's with you. He's in you. He's with me. He's in me. Now, understand by faith. The world does not know, does not have the presence of the Lord. The world does not experience God's nearness. Only by faith in Jesus Christ do you receive that glorious gift that He may be with you forever. And I still wonder if we comprehend what that really means to have the presence of the Lord in our lives. Do we really gather the significance. 
Paul says in Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the point. Christ in you isn't just for you. The presence of the Lord... Even as Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord in my life isn't just about me. It's not just about my peace. It's not just about my comfort in hard times. Christ in you reveals the mystery and the hope of glory to all the world around us. Christ in me is for them. Christ in me is for my community. It is for my family. His presence is for those who I come into contact with. From DNA to living room to marketplace, Christ in me is the hope of the world. Cain, for his part, did not give his family a good start. He went out from the presence of the Lord. If you look back in verse 14, when he's whining about the curse that has come upon him for murdering his brother, he says, Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. But the literal translation is there, there is, From your face I will hide. It's a defiant statement. From your face I will hide. He's not saying it woefully, from your face I'll be hidden. He's saying spitefully, from your face I will hide. And then it's immediately followed by Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. How interesting. There are those who, like Adam and Eve, hide in shame over their sin. And then there are those like Cain who hid from the presence of the Lord in defiant ignorance. Second word, ignorance. Invitation, invite the presence of the Lord. Ignorance, as in ignoring the presence of the Lord. Or again in verse 16, going out from the presence of the Lord. Well, in verse 17, we see some of the result of this ignorance. Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch and he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Where did Cain's wife come from? Everybody wants to know. A sister, perhaps. A niece, a grandniece. Sounds gross, but this is 2019. Genesis 5.4 actually tells us that Adam lived 930 years and he died. Before that, Seth had, uh, wait a minute. The days of Adam after he became father of Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. That's where I was going. He had other sons and daughters. We know Adam and Eve were the first man, first woman. We know Cain, Abel, the first two sons. Seth was the third. But in that, we don't know when the daughters came along. We don't know how long it was before Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. We don't know what had happened at that point. There are a lot of unknowns that that God, it's not important. People want to jump on these things and say, oh, see here, here, here's a problem. Who did he marry? Where'd she come from? Well, she was there. I don't know where she came from. I don't know where my own wife came from. She was just there one day. (laughs) And I said, hey. So he, he met her. There were no time constraints. People lived a long time. Early on in the bloodline of humanity, the Lord did not put restrictions on interfamilial marriage. Brothers and sisters did marry. Cousins did marry. They had to. 
It's how the world began, and it was prior to the bloodline becoming, well, truly corrupted. And so it would be later on with Moses and Torah law that the restrictions on marrying were, were set into place, and you didn't marry a, a sister or a brother. You'd end up with a third eye or this eye the size of Kilimanjaro. So, <laughs> Cheryl's not my sister. Let me just clarify that one. Well, Cain married, and he had a son named Enoch. Enoch means dedicated. This is not, by the way, the same Enoch as we'll meet in chapter 5, the prophet Enoch, who is an amazing, interesting man of great faith. A man so pleasing to the Lord, he just went home with Jesus one day. Didn't die. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's Wednesday night. Great conversation. We'll have that Wednesday. But Enoch, interestingly, his name comes from the same root word as a Jewish holiday, which is called the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is the is same root as Enoch. And Enoch got a city dedicated to him. Some think, well, perhaps that's where the name Enoch comes from, is because the name Enoch is dedicated, and Cain built a city, so he dedicated the city, naming his son Dedication for the city, and kind of a, a, you know, a nod to himself. Cain built this city in defiance. Cain went out and built a city. No, the curse was, you are to be a wanderer and a nomad, Cain. What's he go do? Builds a city. Tries to develop a settlement. What's interesting to me is when you read that, he built a city. I may have to move here on the stage. It's that time of year. He built, uh, he built a city, verse 17. Technically, literally, he was building a city. And the implication is he began to build a city, but never finished. That because he was a wanderer and a vagrant and a bag- vagabond, that he walked off the job site that he did not finish, and perhaps Enoch finished the building of that city. But either way, Cain was doing something in defiance of God, having left the presence of God, and inviting into his family ignorance of the presence of God, creating a mess within his own family line. Listen to the difference of faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted And now being built up in Him and established in your faith is not about the establishment of cities. It's about the establishment of your faith. It's about rootedness in Jesus Christ, not in this world. And not even in my family line. Hey, I love my family, but my roots go deeper. My roots go into the faith of Jesus. Paul writes, just as you were instructed, overflowing with with gratitude. Invite the presence of the Lord and be rooted, be built up, be established. Ignore the presence of the Lord and wander aimlessly, rootlessly, disconnectedly. Those are the options. Paul said in Ephesians 4.14, We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Imagine that family tree growing together in that line, strengthened and rooted in truth and eternal things. But listen, the invitation or ignoring of the presence of the Lord in a family lineage goes to what I believe to be the 
real generational issue. Third word, influence. Influence. Question is, what's it going to be? For, for every person of every family, it is either going to be the influence of faith or it's going to be the influence of defiance. Faith or defiance. What is your influence? Look at verse 18. Now to Enoch was born Arad, and Arad became the father of Mahushael, and Mahushael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, the other was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Enoch fathered Irad. Irad's name means city man. Enoch was the dedicated one, and, and he was dedicated a city, and so now his son is a city dweller. City guy. Irad. It comes from the root word ire, which means city. So you've got Irad the builder in this list. You've got Jabel the rancher, Jubal the luthier, Tubal Cain the metallurgist. And finally you've got Naamah, which just means loveliness, the sister. And honestly, none of the names or occupations listed here are bad things. Now I have heard sermons where pastors have tried to say, whoa, look at this. He's a rancher. He's into lots of money. You know, or, or he's a, a metallurgist. What do you make out of metal? Weapons. You know, I'm trying to find the negative because we're looking at the line of Cain. So there's got to be negative, right? Derek Kidner says a biased account would have ascribed nothing good to Cain. The truth is always more complex. God was to make much use of the Cainite techniques for his people. The Bible nowhere teaches that the godly should have all the gifts. <laughs> Remember that. There are gifted, remarkable, amazing people who have brought marvelous things into this world who are not believers. So just because a family line is filled with unbelievers doesn't mean it's all bad or they have nothing good to offer. Think about it this way. Abraham, like Jabel, was a tent dweller and a rancher. So he he followed that same pattern. He was a nomad, but he was a nomad who followed the Lord. Then you've got a man named Bezalel who was a lot like Tubal-Cain. Tubal-Cain is this metallurgist, this forger of, of, of metal things. And Bezalel, Exodus 31, verse 3, says he was filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and in bronze. So same kind of occupation here. Jubal was the one who was the kind of the first luthier, you know, Making guitars, making lyres, making pipes, and and he was a musician. So was David. And David came along and all of his musical talent was to praise the Lord. It's not the occupation, it's what you do with it. It's where you go with it. And the Lord has a way of redeeming skills, or better yet, people. See, what God does is He redeems for His good purposes. And even within the line of Cain, again, these are not bad things, though Cain started out as a bad guy, and we'll meet another bad guy in a minute here. But within this line, the line is not irredeemable. Have you ever felt irredeemable in your life? 
Ever felt like your family doesn't have a shot because it's just too messed up? You ever sat at the very back of the room, no offense to those sitting in the back, but I'm, I'm using this metaphorically, but have you ever sat in the back of a church thinking, these people don't have any idea how messed up my family is if they knew they would never receive me into fellowship? Irredeemable! Ever been ashamed of your name? I had a, a young girl, in fact, she visited here about a year or two ago, uh, surprised me out of the blue, but she was in our, our student ministry in Virginia. Her name is Jamie Booth. She is the great, 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 I think, granddaughter of John Wilkes Booth, who killed President Lincoln. I had no idea. She was such a sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, she was a, she was a good girl. We, we, we loved her. Still do. So it's not the name. There's a greater name. Listen again, as, as Brian read the scripture this morning, but listen as the Lord describes his name to Moses. And this is key to the whole conversation. In fact, I would say it's one of the key passages in the entire Bible as God gives his own self-description. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. We've already seen this and we're only in Genesis chapter 4. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Yet... He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. And it's that section of this self-description that in past times I would have wished that he'd just left it out. Let's just stay with the compassion and loving kindness and truth. Let's stay there. That's good. I don't want to hear about the visiting the guilty and not leaving them unpunished and visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the grandchildren of the third and fourth generations is like visiting the tree and just hacking it up because of one man's mistake. Is it fair that God would look at Cain and see what he did and then go to every generation and judge that generation? But that's not what he said. He doesn't go generation after generation to cast judgment because of the sins of the father. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Ezekiel chapter 18, just listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father, as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul whose sins will die. Down in verse 20. He says, the person whose sins will die, the son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. And that's how I know when God visits every successive generation, visiting the sins of the father on the children, he's not punishing the children for the father. He just clarified that for us. What he's doing is he's looking at each generation and saying, where are you? What influence are you under? Mine or your past? He goes to every generation. He looks in on. It's not he looks down on. He looks in on every generation to see if there is faith there or defiance. To 
you see, are, are Cain's kids going to do what Cain did? Or are they going to go another direction? Because, get this, apparently there were outspoken believers in the generational line of Cain. Did you know this? Look back at the line. Mahujael. Mahujael. Well, who is Mahujael? His name means God makes me live. Or Methushael, his son. He now names his son Methushael. What's that? Man of God. In the line of Cain? Absolutely. Humanity is messy. Family lines are complex. And every generation has a choice. Every person has a decision to say, God makes me live. Or to say, man of God. And then we look at this line and we see what they did and what they accomplished. And there are good things here. And there are believers here. And by the way, do you know what believers do? Believers offer themselves their gifts, their innate abilities, their skills, their qualities. They just offer it up as sacrifice to God. They say, here I am, Lord. Whatever you need, use me. Hebrews 13, 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased. What I'm getting at here is your family tree can influence you for good or ill, but the Bible teaches that our lives are not defined by the negative influence of our parents or our grandparents or their parents before them. That does not define me. By the way, I've got some good people in my family line. I have a couple of beloved grandmothers who I accredit much of my faith today because of their faithfulness and what I saw in them and their influence on me. Our lives don't have to be defined by all that bad stuff that comes down the pike from generation to generation. How about this? Instead of generation to generation, let's be defined from faith to faith. Faith to faith. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so yes, there's influence in the family line, but may it be the influence of faith. And if there's not faith there, you get it from Jesus. Faith to faith, not generation to generation. Looking back to blame previous generations for your sins is a lame excuse. And it does not hold up. And speaking of lame excuses, seven generations from Adam, we come along the cane branch of the tree and come to a really bad piece of fruit, a man whose lame name is Lamech. I call him Lamech the Lame. Because, as you'll see, he calls upon the name of Cain to justify his evil. Lamech. Lamech. Methuselah was the man of God. At least his name meant man of God. And he fathered Lamech. Which means powerful. Powerful. If you've heard me define Lamech's name differently in previous studies, perhaps in Genesis 5, I'll explain the difference in a minute. Powerful. That's, that's, what, that's the meaning ascribed to the name Lamech. 
And if you look at verse 19, Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada and the name of the other, Zillah. And so two wives, plural. Lamech has the dubious honor of being the first known polygamist. Right here in Scripture, because again, the truth is always more complex when we really stop and look at it. And what we deal with here, with all these others, some amazing people, some apparent believers, some doers of good things, and yet also in this line is the first polygamist. He takes two wives. Remember what Adam said, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, leaving that generational influence, if you will, and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Here, the one became three as he took two wives to himself. But it gets worse. With Lamech, it becomes more than lame. Verse 23, we're told, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is a vidge sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And it's called the Song of the Sword. Lamech revels in the way of Cain, claims, lays hold of the generational influence of his great-great-great-grandfather, and he even heralds Cain as his bright, shining example. Cain did this, I did more. Cain sinned big, I sinned bigger. Look at what has happened in just such a short amount of time. Where Cain gave in to sin, Lamech revels in it, exults in it. Where Cain cries out for protection, Lamech invites provocation. Where Cain killed his brother, Lamech killed both a man and a boy. Note the word. He says, a boy for striking me. He killed a man and he killed a boy. And we think that may have been a father and a son who got into an altercation. We can only speculate about it because we have no more information on this and the rabbis have all kinds of curious speculations. But a man and a boy and the word boy is yelled in the Hebrew and it's a youth or a child. And he's saying, look at what I did. Mr. Powerful. Lamech. Powerful. And if Cain is avenged sevenfold, I am avenged seventy-sevenfold. I'm avenged far more. I can do whatever I want. I'm a powerful guy. Interesting, Mr. Powerful's name is actually a compound Hebrew word. And if when you look at it that way, it yields a very different meaning. It's le, the participle le in Hebrew, which means to or toward, and muk, which literally means to make or to be brought low. Humiliation. To be made low. To bring low, to humiliate. And it may have come to mean powerful because from the human perspective, to make low is what we think makes someone powerful. If you can make someone else low, if you can demean another, the humiliation of another person raises me up. That's a very human attribute. That starts as early as the playground. Children putting other children down and and then teenagers ripping on other teenagers and then adults 
undermining others because we think that's where our power comes from. But by God's standard, Mr. Powerful is the one who's always ultimately brought low. He's the one who ends up in despair. That's why if you've heard Lamech's name translated despairing, it can mean that. To be made to be brought low. To be made humiliated. Powerful? The human perspective. To be brought low? That's the divine perspective. Isaiah 2.12 For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased or brought low. Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things. There's faith over the family tree. Faith over defiance. You want to boast? Boast in the Lord. You want to talk big? Talk big of Jesus. And let Him be the, the focal point of all that is, well, confident in your life. You want to stand strong in the world? Stand strong in Jesus Christ. Who said, Matthew twenty three twelve? whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But along the way of Cain, it's just been downhill. Generation to generation, humanity brought low by humanity. We have this Lamech who is the example of where things have gone Even though there are some along the line that seem to have embraced faith, you end with Lamech and it's an ugly ending. By the way, did you catch what he declared? Verse 24 again. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Or literally, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged seventy times seven. Well, that's familiar, isn't it? Why don't you turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I really wonder this. I wonder if Jesus had Lamech in mind. When Peter asked him the question. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Tells us that Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now it's completely relevant because apparently in this altercation between Lamech and the man and the boy, someone sinned against someone. Someone offended someone. One offended the other and he came out on top, Mr. Powerful did, though he would be brought low. He stood strong declaring, Cain avenged seven times. Lamech... You can almost hear him pounding his chest. (laughs) Avenge 70 times 7. And Peter says, how often should I forgive? Up to 7 times? Because that's a lot. Along along about 3 or 4, I'm done. You know, (laughs) Peter's like, 7 times, Lord? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to 7 times, but up to 70 times Seven, And it's almost as if, and I'm not saying he's doing this, but it's interesting to me, it is almost as if Jesus is completely negating the language of the Song of the Sword. 
He is negating the behavior of Lamech. You are not avenged for doing what is evil. You are not avenged for doing what is wrong. You will be brought low. But in this case, Jesus says, no, not up to 70, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So we quickly do the math and go, okay, I got to forgive 490 times and then I'm done. Jesus said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Barely a day's wage. No, I'm sorry, wait a minute. Talent, no, this is, this is a huge wage, wage. Massive wage. This is a big wage. Lots of money. Huge wage. <laughs> he was brought before him. Owed him more than he could ever repay in a lifetime. Let's leave it at that. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me, I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. And that is you. And that is me. Owing what we can never for all the penance in the world We could never repay for any sin against an eternal God. What are you going to do with that? That slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him about a hundred denarii. That's a day's wage. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. And his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison till he should pay back what he was owed. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Stop right there. Should we not have mercy and forgiveness for our families and those who have sinned against us in the same way God has had mercy and forgiveness on us? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him, which, by the way, he would never be able to repay. Jesus is painting a picture here. He says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I'm making the contrast here because we've come down the line to Lamech and he touts his ability for revenge and that he will be avenged. And Jesus, the greatest power ever wielded on the face of the earth, was heard when he was brutally beaten and horribly humiliated and seemingly powerless. And yet from the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That will change a family line. That will upend the sins of the Father. That will challenge 
what goes on that seems to be repeated generation to generation. I've had people come to me and say, my dad was an alcoholic, my grandfather was an alcoholic, there's been alcoholism all down my line, and I just, I'm afraid I'm going to do the same thing. You have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on your life. That should change everything. You do not have to do what they did, nor do you have to condemn them for it. We forgive. We forgive because He forgave. See, that's the real power. This is what Lamech did not understand. That the true power is not in vengeance and being avenged. The true power is in faith and forgiveness. The greatest strength is always revealed in the sacrifice of self. See, our flesh wants to go the opposite way. My flesh offended wants to be avenged. Faith comes in and says, no. Your flesh must be the sacrifice. Sacrifice of forgiveness. And we see in Jesus, one who did not go from generation to generation. No, we see one who came from glory to glory. And you know what's remarkable? It's not generational influence to generational influence. When you enter the fray from faith to faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit is no longer generation to generation. It's faith to faith which results in glory to glory. That's the promise of God on you and on me. Lame Lamech. He was the end of the line for Cain's family, he and his children. Ancestry.com did him no good. (laughs) But, Genesis 4.25, Adam had relations with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Sheph. For she said, God has appointed, Sheph means appointed, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him to Sheph. To him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord, and here we go. Here's the change. Here's the branch to follow after the name of the Lord. This can read, by the way, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Men began to call by the name or be called by the name of the Lord. They began to wear the name of the Lord. To stand in the presence of the Lord. It's like those Christ followers in Antioch, Acts 11.26. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. There's your name. That's the family name. It's the only name worth having. No, I like Crawford. It's got some good Scottish roots. But that's not the name worth having. It's the name of the Lord, the only family line redeemed for everlasting life. And you know what's kind of cool this morning? Is we are all in that family. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, we have branches and twigs and leaves all over the place here that are all tied together in one glorious family. If we invite, not ignore, the presence of the Lord. And if we invite the presence of the Lord, that means we also invite His influence over our lives. Sometimes people invite the presence of the Lord and ignore His influence. 
Oh yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower. I believe. But when it comes to real life change, eh, but don't tell me what to do. I'll follow you, Lord. Unless it, you know, gets in the way of my defiance. Faith says where I want to go when it's different than the way the Lord calls me to go, I'm going to become under His influence. I'm going to follow His line. That's how we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. We learn to live for His name. His name, not yours, not mine. His namesake. Psalm 79, verse 9, Asaph wrote, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Your name. And deliver us and forgive us our sins for Your name's sake. It's one of the most important things as followers of Jesus you can do is live for His sake. Live for His glory. Let your life be about what matters to Him. Not just what matters, but what honors Him. What glorifies Him. What what points to Him. For your name's sake. For the sake of your glory. Because without Him, my name means nothing. How's your family tree? Stately? Or shameful? Noteworthy? Or gnarled? Is your tree standing tall or has it fallen down? You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Live for the glory of His name. By faith, forgiven for His name's sake. And by the way, there is a tree that stands forever. Beyond every family tree since Adam, and Jesus referred to it, you might recall this, Revelation 2.7, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, that's the tree I want to eat from. But more than the tree of life, to be in your family tree, to be grafted in, to the likes of an Abraham, an Isaac, a Jacob, a David. To be among those who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. To live, Father, as one of those who is called by the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I am proud to be called Christian. I am confident in the name. And no amount of negative influence in the world can shake that confidence in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, this morning that You will pour that confidence out on us. We looked at a genealogy today, Father, and it's a mixed bag, as all of ours are. I pray out of all of this that we will recognize the line that we've been called to, the family that we're involved in, And Lord, we would embrace this for the glory of Your name and for Your name's sake. In Jesus Christ, we pray this morning. Amen. Wherever you are in your family, whatever your issues have been, whatever dysfunction has been there or perhaps is there right now, I invite you this morning to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If you've never done that, do it for the first time today. If you've done that, you're feeling shaken, your confidence rattled. Come and trust in the Lord.